Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, November 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, what issues will two Senate candidates debate during their only face-to-face of the campaign? We'll learn more. Then, a diverse group of Mississippians took a closer look at the highway of the history of racism in the state during a public forum last night. We marched too far. We sang too long. We prayed too hard. We suffered too much. And we died too young to allow someone to tell us that we cannot have a seat at the table. And find out the do's and don'ts of turkey frying as you gear up for holiday cooking. Mississippians will soon hear from both candidates vying for the final two years of retired Senator Thad Cochran's term. The candidates, Democrat Mike Espy and Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, will debate tonight live in the capital city. It's their only debate of the campaign season. The hour-long debate is being sponsored by the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation and WLBT Television. We spoke with Millsap's college professor, Kenneth Townsend, about both candidates. He tells us what they need to address tonight. I think both of the candidates have to speak in a way that energizes their base because that's the key to a runoff election like this where voter turnout is likely to be a bit down from the general election that we held earlier this month. So Espy has to speak in a way that energizes his base which is largely black voters, a bit younger voters. Cindy Hyde-Smith has to speak in a way that energizes her base, sort of mainstream, if you can call them that, Republican Party voters in Mississippi. That is has to be a first priority, I think, for both candidates. Other than that, I think they have to think secondarily about the other people they need to target. For somebody like Espy, that secondary target has to be folks who are kind of on the fence, people who are maybe a little bit more on the moderate side of things, who are a little bit uncomfortable with some of the comments perhaps that Hyde Smith has has made in recent weeks. And then Cindy Hyde Smith, her secondary target, I think, has to be folks who are maybe not part of the Republican establishment who have been her voters all along, but the people who are like the McDaniel camp. Those voters, she has to make sure that she speaks to them in some way to get some of them out to vote for her. From her camp, is there the fear that McDaniel's people will simply stay home? I think that has to be an ongoing concern for her. You know, McDaniel has been a bit more conciliatory following his loss earlier this month than some people had thought. But it's hard to know. His supporters are true diehards and a little bit unpredictable. So she has to be hoping and trying to do whatever she can to make sure that at least some of them come out. For her to win this, she has to get the people who voted for her to come back out and at least some of the McDaniel people um, in order for her to feel comfortable going into the vote. As you said, historically, runoff elections do not bring a lot of voters out. However, midterm elections normally don't either, and there was a surge of voters for the midterm. And because this Senate race is the last Senate race that will be decided in the country, might that bode well for good voter turnout? I think you're right to point that out. I would expect that voter turnout for this is going to be higher than is typically the case for runoff elections. Uh, With that said, I would be a little surprised if the turnout was as high as it was for the election, the general election um, earlier this month. But this is somewhat uncharted territory. The, The high voter turnout 
in this year's midterms, both in Mississippi but around the nation, was truly remarkable. So for those of us who are maybe feeling like a lot is wrong with politics at present and, and we can point to the things that aren't going well, I think that we can all take some comfort in the fact that voting is up and that people are engaged. And I would hope that irrespective of one's particular political affiliations, that maybe we can find some good in that and and hope that the turnout will be good for the November 27th vote as well. Tonight's debate, the surroundings is a little bit different. There will be no live audience. The press is not invited. So it'll essentially be the moderator, the two candidates and the camera people in the room. How might that affect the uh, dynamic? Yeah, so this is – I've never really seen debates like this. From a candidate standpoint, I think it has to feel a little bit strange knowing that there's no one else there other than basically the moderator and camera crew folks. Neither of these candidates has taken part in debates in recent months or years, so – I'm assuming that they are going through debate prep or they're trying to simulate circumstances as best as possible. Who knows exactly why this particular model emerged? But you know, if you're concerned about being distracted by audience members, by folks you know, causing a ruckus, then I, I guess this would be something that you look forward to. But as a, if I were a candidate myself, I think I would feel like it was a little bit artificial, and I think I probably would like to have – some audience there, but I'm not a candidate. They well, are. And it, it might, it seems that having an audience would bring a certain energy to the room that might energize the candidates themselves. Exactly right. I mean, if you're running for office, often you run for office in part because you either like the energy that you get from others as you campaign, or, you know, at, at least you can tolerate it pretty well, right? You come to, to, to get used to it. Um, and find some energy from it. But yeah, I think that this is unusual to not have anyone in the crowd, even if they're not supposed to talk. Often there is a certain energy that you hear from an audience, even if it's the occasional mm, ah, sigh or random clap that isn't supposed to happen. There's something that you can feed from that engagement. So yeah, I think that's unusual. And um, I don't know how it will affect the, the two candidates' energy, though. I think that's a fair question and something that I'll certainly be paying attention to as I watch. It would seem that both candidates have plenty of ammunition against the other candidate. What do you expect to hear for either one of them? Sure. Well, I fully expect references to the Ivory Coast contract um, that SB um, had been a part of a few years back that Fox News broke a few days ago. I, I fully expect that to be referenced by Cindy Hyde-Smith. I wouldn't at all be surprised if Mike Espy alludes to the public hanging or the so-called voter suppression comments from, from last week or that surfaced last week. With that said, I think both candidates have to be a little bit careful because they don't want to alienate um, too many folks who are maybe on the fence. And I think for Espy in particular, he's been trying to walk a tightrope because at the end of the day, if past elections are any guide and if self-expressed political ideology and party affiliation are any guide, he can't win by simply getting out Democratic votes. He has to get out Democratic votes but also get a sliver of others. Right. He has to do well among African-American voters who disproportionately vote um, Democratic in Mississippi and throughout the nation. Um, but he has to also get a sliver of white voters who don't typically vote Democrat. He has a two-pronged front, really get out voter turnout for his traditional base, but then attract a few others. And if he is too aggressive on what some would consider a race card or something like that, then I think he does risk alienating um, the more moderate white voters. And if you see 
see the way that he has been speaking, he hasn't really been so-called playing up the race card very aggressively, even in light of some of these comments that have emerged in the last week or two. His language seems to be referencing, right, well, we have to do things that are good for all Mississippians and that sort of thing. So I think that's what he's going to be trying to do. On the other hand, Cindy Hyde-Smith, I think, is going to continue to push that SB is not right for Mississippi, that he's tainted by outside affiliations, right? these out-of-state supporters, et cetera, that we've seen in some of her campaigning, as well as this tag uh, of corruption, that whether we're looking at the early 90s cases that were ultimately dismissed or some of the Ivory Coast contract controversy from a few years ago. That's not going to be comfortable for her to say or for him to respond to, I wouldn't imagine. Kenneth Townsend is the executive director of the Institute for Civic and Professional Engagement and assistant professor of political science at Millsaps College. Thanks, Kenneth. Thanks, Karen. The runoff election between U.S. Senate candidate Cindy Hyde-Smith and Democrat Mike Espy is November 27th. You can hear the debate in its entirety tonight, beginning at 7, here on MPB Think Radio. Coming up, a diverse group of Mississippians took a closer look at the history of racism in the state during a public forum last night. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. U.S. Senate candidates Mike Espy and Cindy Hyde-Smith will discuss the issues in a live debate tonight in Jackson. It's their only debate of the campaign season. Tune in to MPB Think Radio at 7 tonight for the hour-long debate sponsored by the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation and WLBT Television. What will it take for Cindy Hyde-Smith or Mike Espy to win the Senate runoff? Join us as the candidates go head-to-head in a live debate heard right here on MPB Think Radio at 7 tonight. Your old car is kind of like that hairstyle you had in high school. Really cool back in the day. But that old car is still cool when you donate it to MPB Think Radio. Go to mpbonline.org for details. Then sit back and enjoy the ride. Now that's cool. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than 100 people spent time studying the history of racism across America and in Mississippi at a public forum last night in Jackson. Hosted by the American Civil Liberties Union, a front row seat was a conversation organizers say was important after recent racially charged comments made by Republican U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. Jeff Robinson is the ACLU's deputy legal director. He says Mississippi leads the southern states in the number of documented lynchings of African-Americans between 1877 and 1950. So you want to know race at the turn of the century in America? And this is what it was. In 1900, there were race riots in New Orleans and New York City. In 1901, 105 blacks were lynched. 1902, 85 blacks were lynched. 1903, 84 blacks were lynched. 1904, 76 blacks were lynched. 1905, 57 blacks were lynched. 1906, 62 blacks were lynched. 1907, 58 blacks were lynched. 1908, 89 blacks were lynched. 1909, 69 blacks were lynched. And 1910, 67 blacks were lynched. Between 1877 and 1950, there were more than 4,000 racial terror lynchings that were documented in America. We're not talking about the undocumented ones. But if we just limit ourselves to the documented lynchings, what you see here, if you do the math, is that for over 70 years, there was an average of more than one black person lynched every week. 
in America for more than 70 years. One of us, more than one of us every week. That is terrorism. Robinson also says Mississippians should look to history on the Confederate flag. If you want to know what the Confederate flag was about, I have a suggestion. Don't ask anyone alive today, including me. Why don't you go to the source? How about, I don't know, the guy who made the flag? Maybe that would be a credible source. Because William T. Thompson says, as a people, we are fighting to maintain the heaven-ordained supremacy of the white man over the inferior or colored race. Can he say it any more plainly than that? Many people in this room probably know that there were four iterations of the Confederate battle flag. The first one was all white with the stars and bars up in the corner. And then there were different iterations. But this is the man designing them. And what else does he say? A white flag would thus be emblematic. As a national emblem, it is significant of our higher cause, the cause of a superior race. Folks, he is saying it as plainly as he possibly can. And a higher civilization contending against ignorance, infidelity, and barbarism. Why is it that so many people are so desperate to have that flag represent something else? Because if they acknowledge what it represents, it's too horrific. And so they have to turn it into something else. It's about culture. And I agree. It's about the culture of white supremacy. It's about states' rights. I agree. It's about the right to own people as property. ACLU Deputy Legal Director Jeff Robinson. ACLU Director Jennifer Riley Collins says the discussion was not to endorse or condemn candidates. It's not about a condemnation nor an endorsement of any candidate. The ACLU does not endorse or oppose candidates. Our event tonight will take a factual look at the history of racial violence and discrimination in Mississippi and America. We will discuss the importance of holding ourselves and our leadership accountable so that we can learn from our past. Flonzy Brown-Wright is a veteran of the civil rights movement and the first black female elected official in Mississippi post-Reconstruction. She recalls experiencing discrimination before being elected. But when the Madison County Herald published that a colored woman a colored woman had qualified to run for the position of election commissioner, the current board changed the rules and required that I run in all five beats and in all 13 precincts. Now that to me was a real definition of voter suppression. However, in spite of every obstacle that they placed in my path, every obstacle of racial injustice that they created for me, I still beat the incumbent. Wright reflects on the work of civil rights activists in Mississippi. We marched too far. We sang too long. We prayed too hard. We suffered too much. And we died too young to allow someone to tell us that we cannot have a seat at the table. Civil rights veteran Flonzie Brown-Wright. 
Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, open MPB Think Radio. Coming up, find out the do's and don'ts of turkey frying as you gear up for holiday cooking. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Have you thought about all the laws that our schools have to be aware of? Not only employment and athletics, but school safety, religion, technology, health and nutrition. In legal terms, we'll touch on those topics and answer your questions with our guest, the attorney for the Jackson Public Schools, Joanne Nelson Shepard. That's today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Turkey Day, just two days away. American Medical Response is reminding Mississippians that burns and fires from turkey frying are a real threat to Thanksgiving joy and to life itself. Jim Pollard is public affairs manager with AMR of Central Mississippi. He tells us the popular preparation method it can be a recipe for disaster if proper precautions are not taken. Perfect recipe for disaster, quite frankly. Hot metal, boiling oil, uh, the excitement of the holiday, and maybe alcohol involved. And kids running around. Exactly. And unfortunately, there are folks who get pretty seriously hurt uh, every year in the country. You'll see reports uh, late evening on Thanksgiving Day or the next day of someone who was badly burned while frying a turkey. But a critical point for us today is that for every one of those potentially life-threatening injuries, there are hundreds if not thousands of far less serious injuries that hurt like the Dickens, take a while to to heal up, and are scary as all get out. So we're hoping to heighten everybody's sensitivity, let them have their antenna up, uh, that when you're dealing with these elements of hot oil and hot liquid uh, hot metal and these other factors, uh, you're taking a chance to a degree. Uh, The greatest risk is putting a turkey wet with water because it's not completely thawed out or because you washed it Mm -hmm. uh, or you used it to measure the amount of oil that you put in the pot, put in some water, make sure that the water covers the turkey by about a half an inch, but you got to then empty the water out and dry the turkey inside out. But when you put a, a turkey wet with water in boiling oil, wow, it can cause what's called a flashover, which is rather like an eruption. And uh, it, there are some awful, awful, scary videos on YouTube and, and other sites. So that, before you even get the lid on, it's splattering oh, hot it's oil. Cup. Oh, it's like an, it's like a volcano, and it can come over the edge of the pot and then get into the heat source, like the propane gas flames, and then you've got an, an even bigger problem on your hands. Turkey fryers are getting more and more popular every year. It just seems like more and more of them, and there are more brands. Yep. And the advertisers for those companies make them sound like the safest things in the world. They don't mention 
all of these uh, safety precautions that need to be taken? Well, actually, they do uh, because uh, they they uh, have instructions with safety advice precautions on those instructions when you open up your new turkey fryer. But sadly, I don't think some folks just figure, oh, okay, how do you get this thing going? And they don't, they just kind of skim over the safety uh, tips, uh, which, which again, that can be just absolutely deadly. Uh, one of the most important pieces of advice is don't leave a turkey fryer unattended ever. Does it have it, to be outside? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not there are, gr- you not, hear about countertop turkey fryers. Um, no? <laughs> nah, well... Outside, if it's built to be inside and you read those instructions really carefully and you're willing to take that risk, mm, I don't think I would. Uh, But turkey frying in general, outside with the conventional fryers at any rate, outside and always and only outside, not under a car porch. I had a friend in Gulfport who a few years ago just about burned his carport down. How? Where where are the flames coming from? Uh, Well, he had a flashover. Oh. And then the flames get up in the um, in the roof of the carport, and before you know it, and you know he had to call the fire department, uh, and uh, you know we razz him a bit about it to this day. But if day, it's raining, you want to go under some kind of structure. Don't, don't. You, you figure out some other way to to cook your your turkey because you bring it under the eaves, uh, you bring it next to a wall, into a garage, uh, you're, you're literally playing with fire. And in some instances, depending upon the fuel, you can also be creating carbon monoxide gas. If there's a fire, I mean, it doesn't make sense that you would have, you know, with with outdoor fires, you have a bucket of water sitting nope. nearby. You don't want a bucket of water when it comes to a turkey fry. Not an oil fire ever of, of any kind. So what anywhere. should you have nearby? Have a, have a uh, conventional fire extinguisher nearby uh, and make sure that it is uh, rated uh, for uh, oil fires because you'll see the designations A, B, C is on a, those are the letters that are convention, on a conventional fire extinguisher. They tell you what types of fires that they're appropriate for, but make sure you have the right kind of fire extinguisher. And uh, we advise because, as you mentioned earlier, kids running around the turkey fryer. Draw a circle about 10 inches in diameter, excuse me, draw a circle about 10 feet in diameter around the turkey fryer and declare it a child free and a pet-free zone. And again, never leave the turkey fryer unattended. A lot of the turkey fryers don't have an automatic shutoff valve, so they need to be watched continuously. Uh, If your oil starts to smoke, you turn that sucker off immediately. Uh, You have to have oil. Peanut oil is one of the most popular. Uh, What happens if it starts smoking? What does that mean? uh, It means that it's on the verge of, of catching fire. Oh. And you want to turn it off before that happens for sure. Uh, And you want to uh, make certain that the turkey fryer is on a flat, stable, dry surface. Concrete is best, something that's not at all flammable. Uh, Keep the the device away from uh, any leaves or branches, any bushes, uh, anything whatsoever that could could catch fire. Um, Don't overfill the the fryer. That's one of the worst mistakes folks make uh, is uh, because if it's going to... When the oil gets hot, it's going to expand. It's going to come up. So uh, don't overfill beyond the fill line that's usually uh, engraved into the inside of the pot. Uh, And if you don't have, for some reason, uh, a fill line, make sure you leave three to five inches between the top of the pot and the top of the oil. It Uh, sounds like the... 
the uh, most concerning times are putting the turkey in and taking the turkey out. Yeah, yeah. Any it, it, First of all, never move the fryer once you've started it up. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Now, just about any uh, turkey fryer is going to come with a hook that you uh, put down in the bird and you lower the bird slowly. A dry bird, remember, no water on it whatsoever. You lower the bird slowly into the oil and you bring it back out slowly. And I recommend some of the cookers come with a bar, like a metal bar that you can run under one of the hooks. And therefore, it's safer if you have one person on one end of the bar and one person on the other end of the bar. And that way you don't have hands that mm-hmm. are over the boiling oil itself. And uh, it's not it's not a bad idea to, to wear some goggles as well because the oil will mm-hmm. splatter up in your face. Jim Pollard is the public affairs manager for AMR, which is American Medical Response. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Everybody have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.